Hey, welcome to the Bible Savvy Podcast, a weekly conversation on how to understand, enjoy, and apply God's Word. I'm your host, Nikki Lucas, and I'm joined by Executive Pastor Eric Ferris and Teaching Pastor Clayton Keenan. We're going to jump into an Old Testament book here, and Ferris is going to tell us what. Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 28, but before we talk about context of these two chapters of the Bible, do you guys know what is four episodes away? Um, I, I don't. What is it, what Eric? Is it? Our one-year anniversary episode <gasps> of the Bible Savvy Podcast. It well, you should you cut that you cut <laughs> that cut, sound it effect cuts off. off. Really, it, it cuts it's off. Very abrupt. You we, didn't bring your new. I know. App. I know. I know you guys aren't in the podcast studio with us. We all, we switched. We didn't all of us switch chairs. Nikki and I switched chairs, and so she is near the sound effects bank right now. Yep. I actually finally put all the sound effects on my iPad, set it up. I have this beautiful panel of about 50 or 60 great sound effects. Oh, boy. I can't wait. Edited them, thought about which sound effects do I think we would actually use on the podcast. It is ready to go. And then this morning when I left my house, I left my iPad on my kitchen table. So thank you for pressing the sound effects button. You're welcome. Context, Deuteronomy 27 and 28. All right, so we know this. Uh, the people of God are about to enter into the promised land. Moses is giving them the final review. He's not going in with them. And so he is reminding them of everything about what God has done for them, what God has instructed them. And in Deuteronomy chapter 27 and 28, it is very interesting. Here is some context. They divide up into two groups. Group A goes on one hilltop, group B goes on the other hilltop, and they rehearse the blessings and curses of the covenant. So the covenant is the agreement that God had made with his people, and the blessings and curses are essentially this. If you don't hold up your end of the agreement, these are the negative consequences. If you do hold up your end of the agreement, these are all of the positive consequences or blessings that come with being faithful to the covenant. So you have curses and you have blessings. So they divide into two groups and one group recites the curses and one group recites the blessings. And so we're going to read starting in Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 15, and we're going to go a few verses into Deuteronomy chapter 28. Clayton. All right. And here, how about we do this, guys? Since the, the picture of the scene here, after the, the curses are pronounced, the people, the rest of the people that weren't pronouncing the curses, were supposed to shout a hearty amen to uh, each of these curses. So you guys, Nikki and Eric, are going to be... You're going to be the people, so... Okay, you, and we'll you, let... Are, are we we'll going to say amen or amen or oh, oh, We're going to get into this debate immediately. I, I don't know which way we should say it, but I think Caitlin, the producer, should evaluate whether or not our amen or amen is actually hearty. Okay. <laughs> all right, here Got we go. It. The Levites shall recite to all the people of Israel in a loud voice. Cursed is anyone who makes an idol a thing detestable to the Lord, the work of skilled hands, and sets it up in secret. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Amen. Cursed is anyone who dishonors their father or mother. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is anyone who moves their neighbor's boundary stone. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is anyone who leads the blind astray on the road. Then all the people shall say, 
Amen. Amen. Cursed is anyone who withholds justice from a foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Amen. <laughs> Cursed is anyone who sleeps with his father's wife, for he dishonors his father's bed. And all the people shall say, Amen. Amen. Cursed is anyone who has sexual relations with any animal. Then all the people shall say, Ew. Amen. <laughs> Cursed is anyone who sleeps with his sister, the daughter of his father, or the daughter of his mother. Then all the people shall say, Amen. Amen. Cursed is anyone who sleeps with his mother-in-law, then all the people shall say, Amen. Amen. Cursed is anyone who kills their neighbors secretly, then all the people shall say, Amen. Amen. Cursed is anyone who accepts a bribe to kill an innocent person, and all the people shall say, Amen. Amen. Cursed is anyone who does not uphold the words of this law by carrying them out, then all the people shall say, Amen. Amen. If you fully obey the Lord your God and carefully follow all his commands I give you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations on earth. All these blessings will come on you and accompany you if you obey the Lord your God. You will be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. The fruit of your womb will be blessed and the crops of your hand, land and the young of your livestock, the calves of your herds and the lambs of your flocks. Your basket and your kneading trough will be blessed. You will be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. I like the blessings. Those are nice. Those are nice. <laughs> Caitlin, were the amens hearty? We got two thumbs, got thumbs up thumbs from up. the yeah. producer. Okay. All right. I didn't. I liked your ew. Ew. All right. So comma method, context, observation, message, meditation, application. I'm going to start with the A. What? And That's right. And we're going to point out the terrible things that can happen when you start with the A instead of context. Context is king. You always have to start with context. And here's why. If you read a passage like this and you immediately go to application, you could very quickly draw these kinds of conclusions. Well, God must be a very mechanical God. In other words, if I do this behavior, this is what God does to me. So if I do this bad thing, God will do a punishing thing to me. If I do a good thing, God will give me some kind of blessing or provision, right? So it's a very mechanical, tit-for-tat kind of think, way to think about God, which is not the God that is revealed in the scriptures. Um, so you have to start asking yourself the question, well, what do I do with something like this that says, because this is a long list of, if you do this, God will do this. If you do this, God will do this. And so it is always, always, always really important that everything is read in context. Everything finds its meaning in context. So we're going to move on now to observation with one contextual observation. We're reading in the Old Testament which is prior to the cross of Jesus Christ. This is important. It seems so super basic, but it is important to point out because sometimes in the Bible Savvy reading schedule, we're doing some New Testament reading and some Old Testament reading, and we're bouncing back and forth. And you have to keep telling your brain where you are reading in the story. So we are reading a story about God interacting with the people of Israel prior to the cross of Jesus. And that is important. One of the things that's really helpful when you are trying to figure out that context thing. So the the big picture, like Eric said, Old Testament, New Testament, really helpful. But sometimes when you're in the Old Testament, you you still are curious, like, okay, how, d- does this still apply? How does this work? Where are we at? Um, a good study Bible helps a whole lot. So I've got my NIV, NIV study Bible open right now, um, and it's got a lot of uh, good stuff here. Also some pictures of some of the, the places where they, they did all this stuff. Uh, but there's a whole call out 
that describes kind of how these blessings and curses work and how they got played out in the history of Israel. And uh, it clarifies some of these things, saying like these these are not things that um, directly apply to New Testament believers, kind of in in like without modification, without some interpretation, um, and even points out some of the errors that come with that. So there's this uh, little section that says, the so-called prosperity gospel today often appeals to this theology in Deuteronomy, promising health and wealth to faithful Christians without recognizing that it was a unique arrangement with ancient Israel, applied more to the nation as a whole than to individuals, and acknowledging numerous exceptions at the individual level. So that's one of the, the other bits of context. Like, this is the whole nation saying this is what will happen to us if, as a group, we are unfaithful to these things. So there are some kind of individual consequences for these things, but they're also emphasizing, especially if you read the next couple of chapters, kind of the national consequences if, as a people, we embrace these sorts of things and we tolerate these sorts of things. Um, and you look at the history of Israel— and it gets played out, you know? That's where the prophets come in and the kings come in, and uh, they're saying, you know, they're calling out the people, saying, you're doing these things. Don't you know what the, the covenant says? These are the curses, these are the blessings that are going to come. Do the right thing. Um, and so uh, sometimes notes will help clarify some of that context before you go uh, thinking, okay, how does this apply to me today? So generally speaking, it would be fair to say, with a broad brushstroke, this is to the nation of Israel saying, if you uphold your end of the covenant God made with you, generally speaking, it's going to go really well for you. If you don't, generally speaking, it's not going to go very well for you, right? So broad, broad brushstrokes. When you, when you try to very specifically and individually apply some of these things, you do get into some dangerous territory, which, by the way, is, I think, this is a bit of a tangent, but... If it's not worth it, we'll just edit out of the podcast episode. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think the book of Job undermines this kind of tit-for-tat thinking. Yeah. Uh, if you remember the story of Job, uh, Job is uh, allowed to be afflicted, and he's a faithful, righteous guy. And so his friends keep coming to his house, essentially telling him, Job, if you would just admit the thing you did that would cause God to bring this punishment to your life maybe God will relent. And so the whole story of Job, Job never did anything. So the whole story of Job undermines this whole tit-for-tat way of thinking about God, that if something bad happens in your life, you must have done something wrong to deserve it. Yeah, and that, that, is, that is critical, uh, not just like in the Old Testament when they're under this covenant. Like part of the, part of the, the problem um, is not saying, well, if I do these good things, God will have to bless me. That's one error that we can make. The other one is to look at negative things in our life, things that are painful, um, and and automatically assume every time I get sick or there's a financial situation or whatever, then God must be angry at me and I must have done something wrong. And so that's like the 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 tricky part is if you apply it really woodenly, you will assume anytime something goes wrong, what did I do? It's on me. And anytime I do good, I'm owed a blessing. And that's not the way we relate to God and it's not the way to understand how our life works. Okay, so let's move on to observation now. What do you see in this text? Uh, lots of curses, obviously. We just got done reading them. Um, actually, what I see um, is, a, is a list. In these curses, I see a list of what matters to God, what he cares about, um, not dishonoring your mother or your father, um, not leading blind people astray, right? 
people who could be taken advantage of, like caring for them, right? So it's just like, it's this whole idea of he doesn't want people to commit sexual sins. He doesn't want people to be dishonest. He doesn't want people to operate with deceit. He doesn't want idol worship. Um, it's, it's just, it's a list of what he cares about. Um, that's what I see. Yeah, I, I think that's good because that's, that's, that is the way we get to kind of how this applies to us. You know what I mean? Eventually, we've got to say, what does it tell us about the heart of God? And so to look at this and say, God cares enough about this to make a big deal out of it with his people, then maybe, it, maybe it's something that we really ought to take seriously, uh, even if we're not in this particular blessing and curse situation with them. Yeah, I, I noticed, um, yeah, the, the ones you kind of highlighted, some of them, like the uh, not leading the blind astray, um, cursed is anyone who withholds justice from a foreigner, fatherless, or widow. Um, so you think of the people of Israel who have been wandering around for a generation, and before that were slaves, they're about to go into a settled place where they might sort of forget how hard it is to be the people who could easily be taken advantage of, and God's insisting from here on out, you can't, you can't look at other people who are in hardship and, and mistreat them and take advantage of them. That's happened to you in the past, don't do that to people in the future. I noticed the comprehensive nature of a blessed life. Uh, obedience to God, recognizing God as creator, and and saying in your mind and your heart, God, if you are the one that created everything, then I am going to operate with the assumption that you know how you created life to be best lived. And so if I will align myself with what God says is good and bad, there is it affects my life comprehensively. You'll be blessed in the city and blessed in the country. You'll be blessed when you come in, blessed when you go out. It is a comprehensive, blessed life. Comprehensively blessed life, right? Would that be more accurate? Yeah, that's. I think it's slightly better grammar. Oh, Can grammar, you come on. Can you give my grammar a hearty amen? <laughs> amen. That wasn't hearty at all. Amen. Caitlin's not giving you two thumbs down right now, but I think in her heart she probably is. <laughs> you know, one of the things I, I noticed too is uh, when God created the covenant with Abraham, he said he was going to bless him by giving him people and a land and, uh, you know, causing him to prosper in various ways. And when you look at that list of blessings, it's land, it's children, it's livestock, it's it's favor, it's protection, it's food, it's it's all of these things that, that line up with the promises that he made him. Uh, back in the day. All right, we're done with observation, and we're going to move on to message. And today what I'd like to do as we move on to the message, what is a message that we're we are drawing from this particular text? I want to actually fast forward us to the cross of Jesus Christ and recognize that Jesus took on the curses and in exchange offers us the blessings. Another way to say it is a scripture that says, cursed is the man that hangs on the tree. Jesus was perfectly obedient to the Father, so he deserved all of the blessings. And yet he took upon himself all of the curses so that he could offer us all of the blessings. And so I want to think about how we would draw a message out of the Deuteronomy text in light of the cross. One of the things that stood out to me was uh, verse 26 in this passage of Deuteronomy. It says, Cursed is anyone who does not uphold the words of this law by carrying them out. And I thought about that with connection to Jesus. And just like you said, um, you know, he, he completed it. Every, he, he upheld every single word of the law to the T. 
um, but yet he still willingly went to the cross. And to me, that is, it's like heartbreaking, like truly heartbreaking to think that he had to endure that. But at the same time, and I'm very thankful that he did, um, because if he hadn't, then um, we wouldn't be able to receive any of those blessings in and of ourselves. And so that, that stands out to me. I, I don't know what kind of message to, to articulate for that, but it's, it's, this, it's this heartbreaking and thankful feeling all at the same time. When I, when I think about the, the, the blessings and the curses, and I, especially when I look at the blessings, they are very, uh, in Deuteronomy, very tangible kinds of things. They are, um, they're, they're, you know, prosperity in the land and in the city and, you know, crops and abundance. And there's the, these kind of, it's, it's like the full human life and it's all going well. And I think about that. And oftentimes when we talk about, okay, well, what blessings do we experience from Jesus? You know, we, we've, you know, ex- he's passed on his blessings to us. We talk about things like forgiveness. We talk about, you know, things like peace. Some of these things that are genuine deep blessings, but they're very kind of intangible. You know what I mean? You can't point to them. Um, and yet, blessings very much like Deuteronomy are what's coming. Like when Jesus rose from the dead, he rose again physically. That's like a, that's like a representation of he's getting this wholeness and health, just like God was promising to the Israelites in Deuteronomy. And one day, he's, he's like the, the first fruits, the taste of the world to come, where we will experience the food and the abundance and all of these things uh, in, in, you know, magnified times a million, you know what I mean, in the, in the new world. And so uh, there is something about this that is a, a little uh, kind of like small version image of what's coming when Jesus returns and brings all those blessings for his people that he earned. So you have, generally speaking, in Deuteronomy 27 and 28, the blessed life and the cursed life. And what it boils down to is acknowledging God as creator and the king, the one, we live in his kingdom, we live in, in his world, and are we willing to acknowledge his leadership, his rulership over our lives? So generally speaking, you could say there's the cursed life and there's the blessed life. And we're trying to draw a message out, so now I need to ask a question that I hope if anyone was in a community group, a small group Bible study, and they're reading this kind of text, I would hope this would be the kind of question that would come out. So... Are you telling me that there are things that I do, like I could, I could leave this podcast studio, go do something, and that would invite a curse on my life, or the opposite, I could go leave and do something good, and I would get a very specific blessing from God. Is it really that mechanical? I would, I would say no. Okay, so it's not that mechanical, um, but it's also not as simple as saying, and so your behavior has no consequences. Um, there is uh, something to be said for um, the way, first of all, the way you relate to God, like the experience of your relationship with God, when you're doing the sorts of things that he delights in, you know what I mean? Like it, it may not be, well, this is what's going to earn me, you know, heaven or, you know, some material blessing or whatever, but there is something to be said of the way you live when you know, know what you're doing is out of sync with God and when you know what you're doing is something that God delights in. And and that has ripple effects through all sorts of things. So I think there's that one level. There's also something to be said for, if God says this is the way we ought to do things, it probably is kind of with the grain of the world and with the grain of the good life. You know, like you're, you're not going against the grain. You're doing the, you're doing the thing that uh, leads to like fruitfulness in your life. You're, it, it, in general, it goes towards the kinds of things that look like these sorts of blessings. So I think there is a not mechanical way, but a similar way 
that when you're walking in step with, with God's Spirit and you're walking in step with His Word, you're going to end up in situations where you experience good things when you live well. Does that make sense? So that was kind of like a no, not really, but yes, kind of answer. <laughs> what do well, you say, Nikki? I mean, if... Uh, let's see. How can I... Maybe I can take a swing at an analogy here. If I'm standing in the middle of the road, okay, and I know that there's cars coming at me, and I have the potential of getting hit, right, by being there. I probably shouldn't be there, right? I could get hit, and it could either kill me or damage me, but either way, it's probably not a good place for me to be, okay? Um, it's it's kind of like that. Like, to me, it's kind of like that. Like, if I'm entering into a situation where I know that I probably shouldn't be here because there's something in it, there's something about it, um, that could present me with some sort of a danger. I just probably shouldn't be there. But I'm testing it by being there. And so there is likely that if I'm there and I continue in that, something's going to happen to me of negative consequence. Um, as opposed to if I wouldn't be there, well, then that's a positive thing. Nothing bad's going to happen to me. So I don't know if that makes sense, but it's that idea of if we can be inviting something into our lives that is not good, why are we doing it in the first place? Why are we there in the first place? I had another thought, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to venture it out there, and you guys can tell me if I'm off base. So correct the teaching pastor here. It's okay. If you don't like um, mine, we can No, not really, but yes, kind of. <laughs> yes, kind of. <laughs> um, okay, so I'm thinking about a particular... I, I just... The thought came from one particular curse, okay? One of the curses was, uh, cursed is anyone who withholds justice from a foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow. So you read in the New Testament very similar kinds of things. So, uh, you know... Uh, blessed are the poor, or uh, what you did for the least of these, you did for me, um, the, these kinds of things. It's, it, the same value shows up again in the New Testament. Um, and there are passages that connect that with reward in the kingdom. There is, some, there is something that doing those things here and now, it may not lead to, and so you you know experience some sort of, you know, you got money or something, you know what I mean? There's not like- You got that, a nice new car. Nice new car or whatever. Um, but there is something to be said for when the king gathers his people and separates the sheep from the goats, and he says, "You did this for me. You 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 were there when I was hungry, and you were you 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 clothed me when I was naked, and you did all these things for me, and and so come enjoy your reward from that." And so I I do think that not in the same mechanical way here, but in a big cosmic way, the, that kind of life does lead to a a genuine, real, tangible reward in the kingdom. A few nights ago, there were some young adults hanging out on my back patio. My, my son is in his young 20s, and so there are often humans that are in their young 20s at my house on my back patio, on my front porch, and uh, I, was, I was piddling in my yard. Oh, oh gosh. In <laughs> front of all of them, Eric? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> and I noticed, so some of these young guys smoke cigars. And I noticed that there was a half-smoked cigar that was thrown in my landscaping. And I was like, that is gross, and I shouldn't be picking up cigars out of my landscaping. Okay. So the next, it was probably the next night or two nights later, that same guy is over at my house, and he's limping. And he's using a cane because something happened to his lower back. So I jokingly say to him, God knew. (laughs) Gosh. That you threw that cigar in my landscaping, so I'm not surprised to see you limping on my back patio. And everybody starts cracking up, and they start making jokes like, well, won't he do it? That's my God. Oh, gosh. Because it's so absurd. 
Yeah. Right? Yeah. To, to, to reduce God to some mechanical, if you do this, then God does this. Because then what happens is, if you really think about God that way, if God is always just reacting to our behavior, he's our puppet. Yeah. In, in that way, we are actually defining or causing God's behavior. And that is, it's the, it's the opposite. In, in the New Testament, there are places where this actually gets the apostles accused of being cursed by God. So people look at Paul, and his life is, it's trashed. I mean, he gets shipwrecked, he's, he's getting in prison, he's getting beaten up, like he's, he's not, doesn't make a lot of money, like there's all sorts of stuff. He wanders around, and what, like all of this, and you look at him, and people, people are like, well, he obviously isn't favored by God, and he's got to defend himself in some of his letters about this. And there, if you look at all the apostles and sort of base it on, did their life go well, you would have to assume, well, they must be disobeying. They must not be faithful, when the opposite is true. And so um, the, the mechanical thing will get you in trouble and say, ah, you might not be drawing the right conclusion. And yet, in the long run, those guys, you say, well, is there a reward for that? Is there a blessing for that? Does their life lead to something where God says, well done, enter into the, the joy of your master? Yes, that's what happens, you know, in the end. It's reminding me of the blind boy in the New Testament where they start, they're asking the question, who sinned, mm-hmm. yeah. this boy or his parents, that he's blind? It's the same kind of logic. And part of the response, if I have this right, sometimes I conflate different New Testament <laughs> stories and I'm wrong, but uh, wasn't part of the answer, well, remember that tower that fell on all of those people? Did all of those people deserve that tower to fall on them? Or did a tower just fall on people? Yeah. Is that, was that part I, of the I, answer? I think, I think it's two different scenes, Is but it? it's the same idea. It's the same idea. It's like, no, some things just happen, and, and God may have purposes that he pulls out of those, but don't assume that that means someone sinned, therefore this happened. All right. For the sake of time, we're going to need to move on to the second M in the comma method, which is meditation. Meditation is prayerful thinking. And so we take 45 seconds in every episode to ponder and this question this week. What does a list of blessings and curses tell you about God? All right, we move on to the A in the comma method, which is application, and we have already discussed and admitted that it would be a mistake to treat the blessings and curses mechanically or as if they are highly individualistic. So how do you draw a personal application out of a text where we have said it's really not meant to be an individual type thing? So I'm going to take... Two, two angles here. One is to, to jump off of that thought about Jesus taking the curse. There's something uh, very profound. It's, it, it, it may not feel as, uh, you know, here's this specific thing I do, but to take time to say, Jesus, those curses belong to me. 
You know what I mean? Like when it, when it comes down to it, if you're going to list all the things that I deserve to be punished for, I deserve to be cursed for, there's a lot of them, and you took them. And, and so there's, there's something uh, to, of thanking uh, Jesus for that and, and soaking that in. The, the other thing is I, I really do think that the, the kind of underlying values of some of these things, even though the mechanical side isn't there, there is something to be said of saying, all right, who is vulnerable in my life? that would be the blind that would be led astray on the road or the, the, the outsider who might be taken advantage of. And, and where can I express that value? You know, where, where can I actually be the sort of person who doesn't neglect them in, in my life, knowing that that's the sort of thing that, that my God and King cares about? Yeah, I, the, one of the things that I was going to say is, is going back to what my first observation was, is just trying to identify what about this passage um, explains to me what God cares about. Um, what are, what, what is he saying that this is important for me to pay attention to? And my application would be, um, to care about what God cares about. I think my application is being informed or influenced a little bit by our summer teaching series at the church, which is called Rhythms of the Soul. And so as I, as I see a list of things that God values, and I, and I see a list of things that God says, don't do this, it makes me ask the question, God, how do I stay in step with you? How could my heart be, beat more in rhythm with your heart? How can I sync up with God better? And sometimes it is stop doing certain things, or sometimes it is start doing certain things. And so my application is to take this list and use it as a bit of an evaluation tool for my life and, and ask the, the broader question, which is, God, how can I live more in rhythm with the way you have created life to be lived? All right. Well, that's all that we have for you today, friends. Join us next week for another episode. In the meantime, if you are not reading along with us, you can go to BibleSavvy.com to download the plan and to start reading along. Also, you can subscribe and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. You can email us your questions or suggestions at podcast at biblesavvy.com. And if you're on Twitter, you can find us there for more Bible Savvy Insights. Lastly, tell your friends, and we'll talk to you next week.